Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Drunk on Porpoise, uh, an interview episode today. I sat down with the lovely author, Dana Rodney. She's here to talk about her new book, The Last Polar Bear. So we discussed everything from polar bears to the climate crisis to her artwork and her writings. So sit back, relax, grab a drink, and enjoy. Dana Rodney, and I'm an author. I'm I'm a debut author, as they call it. Um, I have written this book. Here it is, The Last Polar Bear. And um, all my life, I've done other things. Um, I was a real estate agent. I had a custom frame shop, <laughs> did, did all sorts of other things. Um, but when I retired a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to kind of jump into my creative self. I started doing um, painting and I started writing and um, jumped into a bunch of creative writing classes and critique classes and and writing groups and things like that. And um, that resulted in my book. Yeah, nice. So you talk a bit about creative writing and getting into that process. And I know you have another book as well, but the book that we're talking about today, The Last Polar Bear, why did you decide to do an environment climate change type novel? Well, it's a topic that I've always been interested in. in. I've always been a nature lover. I've always been an animal lover. Um, My daughter works in sustainability and so it's a real, uh, it's a, it's an important topic to me. And I wanted to do something that I felt was really timely because I, you know, at the time that I started writing it, we were in the middle of this, you know, presidential election that was <laughs> tearing our country <laughs> apart. And I really wanted to sort of make a stand for the issues that I was um, concerned about. And I noticed that a lot of the conversation about climate change and wildlife extinction was from the science community. And it was very statistics laden and very sort of Armageddon like, you know, information that a lot of people have trouble digesting. And I wanted to try and approach that topic from a more sort of visceral um, place. And I thought that kind of approaching the topic of climate change from the eyes of a polar bear might get to people's heartstrings. Um, And also they say that a story always works better than statistics. So I made a story out of it and it was um, an interesting journey. I'm surprised I actually accomplished it because I didn't come from a background of you know, I'm not a wildlife biologist or anything like that, but I did a lot of research. I, I really tried to be very accurate about it and um, a lot of research about polar bear behavior. And then I had to start researching Inuit culture. And I, I think I ended up with with an exciting book. Yeah, that's great. I've gotten great feedback. Good, good. I'm glad. So, um, so this was following into one of my other questions. You kind of already <laughs> answered it. 
Um, because when I interview a lot of people and I they do their book coverage and they want to promote their book, all the books are nonfiction. And to be honest, terrible of me, I just assumed yours was. And oh, then no. I looked up to it, I looked into it and I thought, oh my God, this is an incredible fiction story. Oh, um, yeah. And I was going to ask you why you chose fiction over nonfiction, but you're right about storytelling and how that kind of draws the reader in a bit more. Um, so can you tell me a bit about the characters? Is there like, a, is it from the polar bear's perspective? Um, is it from the other character's perspective? Um, it is, it's kind of interesting because there's two main characters and, and they sort of mirror each other. One of the main characters is the polar bear. And it's a female polar bear, and her name is Anouk. <clears throat> and Anouk is a polar bear that's seeking a mate. And she's, excuse me, <clears throat> she's seeing her environment and her culture, so to speak, disappear. And then there's a human kind of mirror main character, and she is an Anupiak woman named Newly, who is a wildlife biologist. She's seeking a mate. <laughs> she's seeing her culture disappear and it kind of follows them both through the experience of trying to kind of save save each other um so it's i think it's i think it's clever <laughs> <laughs> i think it's interesting and you know there's romance in it there's humor in it at the same time it sort of informs you about climate change yeah yeah so yeah. i can I, I could go into more detail if you want but i don't oh. want to give anything oh. away yeah don't if you don't want to give anything away great but if you want to go into more detail you just go ahead this is your <laughs> time to shine that's what this is about um, well i should say it takes place in the near future so it takes place in uh uh 2040 mm. and you know it's uh it's it's a a date that a lot of us can kind of see approaching, right? I didn't want to put it 200 years in the future because part of you says, well, I'll be dead. Who cares? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so and, yeah, go ahead. that's, that's another thing I thought of when I was reading the synopsis of it, because there's all these dystopian Armageddon, uh, the, the future, not, there's nothing there. It's a desolate wasteland and it takes place in 2,267. And yeah. you're right. And you shouldn't have that mindset where you go, oh, well, not my problem, like a lot of older right. generations do now about us. You shouldn't do that. But part of you does kind of go, oh, okay, well, you know what? Like, I, I won't be around, you know, let's push that aside. It's a short-term versus long-term problem. Um, but 2040, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'll still be I'll still be here then. It's coming right up. And a lot of scientists say that by, you know, mid-century, um, this is going to be happening. Yeah. You know, I base that on fact. So um, it's you know, it's an exciting story. It's not, it's not a kind of woe is me, like bleeding heart liberal kind of story. <laughs> you know, I based it on fact and I, um, I really put a ton of work into critiquing and revising and um, making sure it was accurate and making sure it was interesting to people. And as I'm getting, you know, Amazon reviews, <clears throat> I'm finding that that I accomplished that. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. A lot of people are saying, wow, I thought this would be an info dump. They call it an info dump, you know, yeah. in the writing world. And it, and they're saying, wow, you managed to inform me while keeping me entertained. Fabulous. So yeah. I'm, 
I'm happy that I'm getting that feedback. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll take a different angle then in asking this question. How do you think all that research you did, all that information you compiled, how do you think that helped you create compelling characters that were, you know, um, you could develop with them and create people wanting to engage with their stories? Like, do you think it helped with your wildlife biology as your one woman? Do you think the behavior stuff with the polar bears really helped you get into the mindset of that character? In a way, it made it more difficult <laughs> because it, it really limited me. You know, I was like, oh, I can't have them, the, 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 you know, the polar bear giving birth at the wrong time of year. And if it's winter, then how does that affect what happens next? You know, so it, it was actually limiting. Um, and I, I specifically didn't delve into um, Inuit culture too much because that would have required a whole other bunch of research or visiting the Arctic, which honestly, I don't like the cold (laughs) (laughs) and I'm a vegetarian, so that wouldn't work. Um, but, uh, (laughs) so I, 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 I didn't try and jump into it too much where I felt like I would, um, possibly be inaccurate with the science and with the culture. Um, yeah, I, I, maybe that's not the answer you wanted. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Any answer is a good answer. So you had to, you had to find that balance. You had to walk that did. Yeah. Okay. And I had to make sure, for instance, that the, that I didn't, didn't humanize the polar bear too much. Mm. You know, I didn't make the polar bear, you know, like, I didn't give the polar bear human feelings. I made sure that she, uh, she would have reactions that would be uh, accurate to, you know, a wild animal. Yeah. So uh, that was that was challenging. I bet it is. That's the the kind of great debate and a theme that I think people are sick of hearing me talk about on this podcast. Um, anthropomorphizing animals. Yes. And if it's good or bad or the pros and the cons to it. Um, so that's very interesting. Even in a fiction setting for your book you still felt that you needed to um, maintain that uh, like level of distance from the wildlife. Yes. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah I didn't, I, I didn't want to make it a, a tearjerker. I wanted to make it real. I mean, human or uh, animals react differently than humans do. And I tried to, I tried to do that. Like in the part of the book where Anouk, the polar bear realizes she's close to death. It doesn't really bother her. Like it would a human. She's not projecting about the end of her life so much as she's in an, a, a cycle of life and death. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. They don't, it's not, you know, something that they think about as much as we do in the way, in the simplest of terms that they don't think about death in that setting. That's right. They're not thinking about the afterlife and have I accomplished my goals? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Naps. Yeah, death is just a natural part of life for them. Yeah, ex- you know, obviously, except when it's caused by your environment melting, then that's not good. But yeah, <laughs> very interesting, actually, because there's that sense of dread that we all feel um, and that kind of existential crisis that we all have with eco anxiety that's so prominent amongst everyone now. Um and that the polar bear is living that and they, but they're not experiencing that dread in the same way we are. They're just, they're just freaking hungry actually is what, what's going on with them. Yeah. That's how, that's how it, um, 
you know, materializes in their life. And then polar bears are starting to more and more um, encroach on, on human habitat to try and find food. And then that creates its own set of problems. Yeah. yeah. So is there a reason you chose a uh, polar bear? I know they're kind of like a, an iconic image for like, so me going back to my beginning of my climate environment journey, watching an inconvenient truth. And that, oh, yeah. that animation where they've got the polar bear swimming forever. And it's, and that, that's just, that's been burnt into the back of my mind forever. And so I and know that's how my book opens. My book opens with the polar bear not being able to find ice out in the open ocean. Yeah. Yep. So that's to me, that's kind of my, I, and I know they're a very symbolic creature of the climate crisis. So is that why you chose the polar bear? Do you just have an attachment? Do you just love polar bears? Or is it just, it did it have to work in with the story or? You know, I can't, you know, thinking back to why I started this, I can't remember why I specifically chose the polar bear, except it is kind of the iconic creature, like the poster animal for climate change. Um, because what's interesting, what's ironic is that polar bears aren't actually technically endangered. They're not into the endangered category yet. They're considered vulnerable. Um, there are about 25,000 polar bears left. But the issue is, and the reason why they are you know, poster bears is because um, the Arctic is one of the most vulnerable environments. The Arctic, the rainforests, the coral reefs are literally disappearing. And so when the ice disappears, those 25,000 polar bears are, you know, are gone like that. So I just, I just thought because a lot of people were conscious of that symbol of the polar bear disappearing that I'd, I'd use a polar bear. Um, I, I also noticed that this was really interesting that as I started researching it and I was Googling like polar bear books, you know, to see what my competition might be and things like mm -hmm. that. It's all children's books and it's all polar bear stuffed animals and i realized oh my god the polar bear has been kind of like infantilized or something or cartoonized and people don't really understand the you know the majesty of this creature i mean it's the largest like land carnivore in the, in the northern hemisphere it's it's amazing um so i decided i wanted to kind of give the polar bear a voice because we, you know, it's interesting how we as people, like you said, we anthropomorphize animals. Some of them we consider, like, we don't care if sharks go extinct, and we should. Yeah. You know, um, and yet, my God, if the koala bear goes extinct, everyone's going to have a, a hissy fit. So I thought, huh, I want to give, I want to give an animal a voice. Um, recently, I thought, I don't know if I'm ready for another book, but I thought a book about the last orangutan might be really <laughs> interesting as well. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. An, that's another animal that's sort of given this kind of goofy sort of image that's actually a really amazing creature that kind of deserves a voice, you know? Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah. And my head, my brain also goes to like Coca-Cola and the polar bear. And oh, Yeah. I know. I always think that as well. When we think of when we talk about anthropomorphizing or infantilizing or yeah, putting a, a meaning on an animal with for our own interpretation, our own intentions. Um, that's very interesting. But it can be used for good with this. It book. can. Yeah. It so can. Hopefully. But, that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, gosh, I was watching 
I was watching a stand-up comedy thing on Netflix the other day where the comedian was kind of joking around about polar bears and he was just sick of hearing about it. And, and he said, everyone was laughing, you know, I had to turn it off. Uh, he said, um, maybe polar bears are supposed to disappear like the dinosaurs. And I thought, God, is that what people think? I know. You know, it's, it's really sad. It's, it's not a natural, you know, climactic event. It's human caused. Exactly. And that's, that's why it's a different situation. Yeah. That's where the line, that's where you draw that line, right? That's of where course. the line gets drawn. Exactly. Yeah. Because when it's us and we can get on our high horse about it any day, every day, when it's our problem at the end of the day, that's when it is an issue. Um, and when we let our egos get to that point where we are like, yeah, no, maybe this is just something that should happen because of us. Like, that's where we have to say, my goodness. Well, and also it's not really just about the polar bear. It's about what the extinction, the possible extinction of the polar bear represents. Yeah. It represents the the globe degenerating and eventually it'll get to us. Yeah. So even if you don't care about polar bears. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it's, it, it's a sign that, that, you know, the earth is, is, you know, really affected by us as humans and it's eventually going to reach us. Yeah. We live in such a little bubble. We don't really feel it yet. I know. And it's, but, a, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to feel that, um, yeah. I think as well, but also a huge consequence. Yeah. I don't know if I even, um told you in in my initial um contact with you that um i've had two homes burned down in wildfires in the past five years so i've really felt you know firsthand the effects of climate change and i mean burned to the ground it's just crazy i mean the first one burned to the ground moved 50 miles away two years later that one burned to the ground (laughs) And now I'm living somewhere else where we're waiting for the next one and, and it's flooding. Yeah. So, you know, it's happening. It, oh my goodness. You know what it is? So first of all, oh my goodness. No, you did not mention that. And that's incredible and insane and awful. Um, I, I have a friend who studied environmental science in um, university and she now works in insurance and people always say, oh, what's the connection with environmental science and insurance? And she's like, well, you'd be surprised, actually, considering how much property, homes, personal property are now being damaged because of climate crisis related activities. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's that connection. But my goodness, geez, no. No, fortunately, I was well insured. But, um, yeah. you know, it's not an experience you really want to go through. No, of um, course especially not. twice. And, you know, not only your home, but everything you own. Exactly. You know, you're like, I'm showing up at my daughter's house with my toothbrush, you know, like, yeah. sorry, I gotta move in <laughs> <laughs> again. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I think we, we did talk a lot about this in the two questions before, but what would you like then if you had to summarize it, people to take away from your book when they read it? Um, I firstly, I'd like to take away that they just read an amazing novel. <laughs> yeah. They want to tell all their friends and leave a review on Amazon. Um, But secondly, I want them to take away that this is, you know, an imminent issue and we need to start paying attention. Um, 
And a lot of people, I think a lot of people, and I sort of approach this at the end of the book, I think a lot of people don't really quite know what to do. Like, what are you going to do about polar bear habitat? But um, I kind of approach that at the end of the book when the human characters get to make a speech at the UN. Um, and there are things we can do. Um, it's, you know, unfortunately, one of the biggest things we can do is stop eating meat. Um, because um, livestock farming is destroying habitat all over the world. And um, that's one of the things we can do. We can, we need to rethink the way we live, the kind of home we live in, the kind of car we drive. We need to probably stop flying so much. I mean, we just... Things are going to shift in that direction anyway as resources disappear, but the sooner the better, yeah. you know. Um, so I kind of want people to start thinking about those things. I, I didn't really, like I said, delve into it in the book so much because I don't want to be preaching at people, mm. but I want people to start thinking, what can I do? Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's a, yeah, a really good way to come to the end of our conversation. But yeah, I totally agree with you. It's almost, that's almost the most overwhelming bit for me. And again, I say this all the time in all my conversations with all my like-minded friends on this podcast. It's like, if you just, I was like, someone just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Right. Yeah. And it's so overwhelming that I feel like you don't, you're not making an impact because you are just one person. And it does still, even though it's becoming so much more mainstream, you still feel like these conversations are happening on the fringes. Um, but it is, yeah, really good that as long as we're starting to point each other in the right direction with, you know, narratives like your novel or in other methods um, that we can, you know, have a better understanding of what we need to do just on an individual level. Well, you know, it's all about money, unfortunately. And if if people start, if consumers start to ask for something different, then you know, big business is going to start producing something different. You know, yeah. if we don't, if we stop buying plastics, you know, if we start eating differently, that's what, that, that's how we make a change. Consumers are more powerful than, than we think. Yeah. You know, yeah. like my daughter has a house. She, she lives in a hundred year old house and she puts solar on it. And then she bought an electric car and she fuels her car from her solar panels and it's like yeah we need to start thinking that way you know yeah. it's not that weird it works <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it does work yeah. Yeah. yeah it works great and um I think my last question then is um well not my last question but you know um how would you then like how do you cope with all of this kind of anxiety or doom or do, do you write a book you know like is that your way <laughs> of kind of processing um processing it on the day to day um, well, I guess what you have to do is, yeah, I did write a book. That's how I kind of funneled it. But also you, you, you can't, you can't deep dive too much into the doom and gloom. You have to stay positive and do what you can and communicate and educate that. I mean, that's all you can do. You know, like my daughter works in sustainability in the wine industry in the Napa Valley. And it seems like sometimes she does that she's like what kind of a difference am i really going to make but you can only do what you can do yeah 
And then if we all do a little bit, then it turns into a big change. So yeah, I mean, in the long run, you have to stay, you have to stay positive or no one's going to listen to you. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Exactly. And if we just, if we surrender to the doom and gloom all the time, then we've just basically admitted defeat, haven't we? Yeah. And we can't do that. We can't like, actually, live ever. I actually had a friend ask me, she said, well, I'm thinking about buying your book, but does it have a happy ending? And I said, well, you know, it's called The Last Polar Bear, all right? It's like, it's not called Paddington, you know, goes to the zoo or something. Um, but I do want to say, for those of your listeners who are wondering about that, that it does have a hopeful ending. Like, you know, we're, we're talking about right now. It doesn't just deep dive into the doom. It has a hopeful ending. That's good. So, um, Yeah. So then last thing before we wrap it up, where can people find your writing? Where can people find mm -hmm. anything else of yours? Where can people find The Last Polar Bear? Well, you can find The Last Polar Bear on Amazon. I think there's a few books by that name. So you might have to type in The Last Polar Bear by Dana Rodney. I do have a website, danarodney.com, and that talks about my books and it also talks about my art. I do a lot of wildlife art. Um, I also have, um, I also sell my art on Etsy at Dana Rodney Studio. So if you go to Etsy, you just type that in and you can see what I'm doing there. Um, I do have a lovely quote I would like to read. Do we have time? Yeah, we do have time. Go for it. Okay, yeah. let me, let me grab that. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the uh, nature writer, Henry Beston? I have not. So he was a big nature writer at the, you know, at the, in the early 20th century, he wrote a book called The Outermost House. And um, I am going to read just a paragraph from The Outermost House. We need an other and a wiser and perhaps a more mystical concept of animals. Remote from universal nature and living by complicated artifice, Man and civilization surveys the creature through the glass of his knowledge and sees thereby a feather magnified and the whole image in distortion. We patronize them for their incompleteness, for their tragic fate of having taken form so far below ourselves. And therein we err and greatly err, for the animal shall not be measured by man. In a world older, and more complete than ours, they move finished and complete, gifted with extensions of the senses we have lost or never attained, living by voices we shall never hear. They are not brethren, they are not underlings, they are other nations, caught with ourselves in the net of life and time, fellow prisoners of the splendor and travail of the earth. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. That talks a lot about what I try to convey in my book. Fabulous. That's a good lead in for it then. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, um, I, I enjoyed our discussion very much. Yeah, so did I. Thank you very much as well. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs>